Today on Stick to Football, we are going to preview and pick week six of the college football season. We're going to talk a little XFL because that draft is about to get going. We're also going to tell you our guys for the 2020 NFL draft. I know a lot of y'all have been like, hey, we want more draft coverage. All right, let's do it. Let's hop into it. I'm ready for it. We got Mello. We got Connor. Boys, Mello's rocking the quarters it because we are going to be in Texas for Texas OU weekend. Come to Off the Cuff on Elm Street in Deep Elm. It will not be a nightmare on Elm Street unless you're a Texas fan. Then it probably will be. Doors open at 9. We'll be recording the podcast, doing a little pregame. And then, guys, we're going to have a watch party there. We're going to end up somewhere for LSU Florida? I mean, usually that's the plan. We will be somewhere. I don't know I will be out and about. Who knows? I'm just going to go wherever the spirit takes me. But if you start your day off the cuff, you don't have to worry about that. So that's the easiest way to do it. And we're excited to be there. Uh, for the Red River Rivalry tailgate. So many names. It's the showdown. It's the rivalry. It's, I don't, I wish we could still call it the shootout. I understand why yeah. we can't, but I, I wish we could. Uh, we are going to get into the blind review as well. But first, not a lot of news. Um, I, I did see right before we sat down to record Thursday night, uh, afternoon, excuse me, Zach Taylor says the Cincinnati Bengals will not trade A.J. Green. And I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but I just want to say for a team that's 0-5, you have very few assets. You're not loaded with draft capital. A.J. Green is 30 years old, and he is not going to help your football team be good this year. You're already bad. You're not making the playoffs. I understand holding on to maybe your only good player, but this is a bad move by the Bengals, in my opinion. Trade him to the Niners, the Patriots. Trade him somewhere and actually build some draft assets. Of course you want him to go yeah, to one of those teams. Go. Right? Yeah, Throw yeah, the yeah, Chiefs yeah. wire at it, Matt. <laughs> that makes sense. I do agree with you, though, in the sense that what you're not building around A.J. Green anymore. That's not what's going to happen there with Cincinnati. Uh, they have not played well this season. I don't want to piss any Bengals fans off, but I think they know that. Maybe it is time to move on from A.J. Green. Let him go uh, to a contender like the Patriots, like the the 49ers, the Packers, somebody that needs a receiver right now. At least shop him and see what you can get. I'm with you all the way. I mean, he's 31. He's been hurt. And he's a great player when he's on the field. But every time he comes back to the field, he keeps getting hurt. See what you can get for him. My only thought here, guys, is that they think, hey, maybe we're drafting a rookie quarterback for next year. And we want him to have a franchise target when that guy gets on the field. Yeah, I really like Tyler Boyd as well. Yeah. I should say A.J. Green's a good player. I like Tyler Boyd. I like Joe Mixon. But we just haven't seen a lot of production uh, this year. You know, Out of those guys, Zach Taylor struggles a little bit. So the Bengals, I just see this as like, good Lord, you're like, you're just admitting that you suck away from tanking. Like that's the only thing different between the Bengals and the Dolphins is the Dolphins tried yeah. to be this bad. And the Dolphins are like, you know what? Yeah, we are bad. We're not contending this year. Let's get rid of some pieces. And now, like, maybe Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe you should have kept him. But that pick's going to look yeah, pretty gonna be nice, nice that pick. they have coming from it. That's a top seven pick right now. Yeah. I think they're yeah. very, very happy yeah, with I that. I think if you wait towards the deadline and you see what teams really need, you might get a team desperate like the Packers or the 49ers that yep. really want to set their team over the top and go after a marquee receiver like A.J. Green. I think a lot of teams are probably worried about that injury and how he's going to recover because he is 30. He, he's on the later end of his career now, so a lot of teams could be scared off by that. Noted second-round pick. 
pick, Drew Sample, has two catches. That was a Ooh. great pick, guys. Great pick. Uh, I actually liked this move. And this is a team that we don't give a lot of credit to. But I would like to praise the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for doing something this week. We knew that when they got Todd Bowles, they were going to go after someone like this. They bring in familiar face Dan Buchanan to play that kind of middle linebacker safety role. But by doing so, they basically forfeited a compensatory pick that they would have received when Quan Alexander went to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it comes out, I think Adam Schefter was the first to report it. The Bucs are now in line to get a third-round compensatory pick in the 2020 draft because they now lost five free agents and only signed four because Quan Alexander was a top-paid free agent. That's where you get into that third round. It's confusing, like, the formula. It's but- getting me. Yeah, over here. it's a lot of numbers to be on camera. I wish we had a like a I wish I had a whiteboard I could draw on, but we don't. But basically, because they signed one less free agent than they lost, and the guy they lost is a high money player, that's how you get a third round comp pick. So by cutting a bad player in Dale Buchanan, the Bucks basically won a third round pick. Yeah, they've dug deep into the rule book and how to get these compensatory picks. Uh, so I like the move by them cutting him. You're getting a third-round pick from a linebacker that you're not getting any production from. So you're right. We don't talk about the Bucks, at least not for what they're doing well. So this was a good move by them to go and get some draft capital back for a, a player that you're really not even using. And I think when you look at Buchanan, the impact or lack thereof, he's been playing special teams for them. It's not like he's been a three-down player for them where yep. they're losing a legitimate piece from this defense with his loss. Yeah, and and I think too like Melo's like maybe they're digging deep. I also would throw up maybe they didn't know. <laughs> maybe it's just like oh shit. Yeah, maybe they're like oh yeah. wow, oops. Look what, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Look what happened. I mean, they did draft Roberto Aguilar in the second round. Maybe we need to Hey, hey. That's my guy. <laughs> maybe we need to to be a little more aware. Speaking of my guy, something I really want to start doing and we're, you know, four or five five weeks into the college football season, we're five weeks into the NFL draft evaluation season. And I've seen a lot of tweets, I I think I saw an iTunes review maybe, where people were like, God, they're not talking about the draft as much as they used to. And and I, I want to say, I do apologize for that. I love the draft. It's what I do primarily for a living. But we are asked to do a lot of a lot of different things now. There's the tailgate tour, which takes up a lot of our time. We are covering NFL. We're covering college football. We will never go away from the draft. But in October, it's not always a primary focus. So uh, we love y'all who are here for the draft talk, and I promise it'll heat up. It's going to start heating up this week because we are going to debut our first My Guy segment of the year. And this is subject to change. I- I'll speak for all three of us when I say that happens. There are guys, sometimes I'll love them in October, and by January, I'm like, what was I looking at? What was I thinking? So I want to kick things off. We're going to do a round one, my guy, and then a non-round one, my guy. Because it'd be easy to be like, oh, man, I Chase love Nick Young. Bosa. <laughs> yeah, right. Chase Young. So great. Yeah, we know you. So these are maybe guys, even round one, that you're a little higher on than the consensus. I'll start it off with Joe Burrow. He's my QB2 in this class. I'm working on a new big board right now. He's going to be in the top 20 for me. I love what I have seen from Joe Burrow. Like His... His accuracy, his ability to make plays on the move. I think some of the touch passes he's made. And I know one of you is going to jump in and be like, they haven't played anyone. Well, they're playing Florida this weekend. I think we'll get a pretty good look at him after that one. But no matter who you play, where he's putting the ball is exceptional. Throwing down the field more. He's attacking. I, I do think he has prototypical size, obviously. The leadership is off the charts good, which is something I'll say about this quarterback class. Uh, other than what you hear about Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason, we got a lot of really good leaders in Tua and Burrow and Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm. So it's a very good class for that. But 
at 6'3", 215. He's a redshirt senior. We're going to see this guy go to Mobile, and I'm saying it now. He's going to have a Daniel Jones-like rise to where after Mobile, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a top-10 pick. That is one advantage that he will have over a lot of the other quarterbacks is that he can go to the Senior Bowl. Uh, He is not my guy, and I am definitely not as high on him as you are. I'm very, very anxiously waiting that Florida game. I think that's going to be a good showcase for him and the receivers and the rest of that offense. I'm going to go with the defensive side of the football. I'm going Isaiah Simmons for mine. I have loved this guy since I started watching him last year, uh, mainly in the national championship game. I won't pretend like I saw know who he was coming out of high school, but the way that they use him at Clemson is so impressive. And I think that every defensive coordinator in the NFL is looking at this saying, holy shit, on first down, we can play this guy at linebacker. At third and long, we can play him at nickel corner or safety. And I think that he has the athletic ability to transition and play those roles in the NFL. He's a guy who's maybe going to get drafted as a linebacker. Some people might draft him as a safety, but he can play all over the field. He has the speed. He has the range. He's about 6'4", 230. And he can move. I have him comped right now to Derek Johnson, uh, and that's more of the way that Derek Johnson played at Texas. His speed, sideline to sideline, uh, he hasn't gotten into the box and played much physically, but he can still run down. He can make plays, and his ability to cover is better than any linebacker I've ever seen, and that's why people are saying that he's a safety. He also, looking at his stats this year, the dude has... 43 tackles already in five games. And a lot of those, I mean, you're playing at Clemson. That first game at Georgia Tech got out of hand pretty well. So I I really like him. I'm going to say early on in the season, he's my guy. I have him number five overall on my big board right now. One of the top defenders. He's a great player. He's my guy so far. In honor of this weekend, I'm going with the Sooner, and that's C.D. Lamb for me. I just think when you look at what he can do, before the catch with his route running, obviously he might not be the best at separating, but his ability at the catch point, I think you look at CD, his ability with the ball in his hands, and what he's done in this Oklahoma offense under Lincoln Riley, he's an explosive playmaker. And in a class with a lot of round one wide receivers, you see Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, the list goes on and on. I look at CD and I just think he could really be a special, special kind of playmaker. Yeah, and I think with CD, he's been overshadowed a little bit by uh, Charleston Rambo this year in terms of catches, at least. But he has seven touchdowns on 18 he's averaging catches. averaging almost 25 yards a catch. Yep. And some of that, some of that is the offense, but uh, there were times last year where CD looked like the better overall player than Marquise Brown. And I've been asked a lot, uh, not to piggyback off your dude here, Connor. I've been asked why I have him a wide receiver five, and I'll just be upfront with you. I have two concerns when it comes to CD Lamb. Number one, speed. Yep. Because I do not see him beat coverage a lot. I think he's wide the fuck open a lot, which leads me to my number two concern is scheme. I just want to see him work himself open on his own this weekend. Uh, Texas is not great at corner, but they are at least going to blanket him. So I think we'll get a chance to see him work through some coverage a little bit and see if he can get open on his own. And I think it's been fun to watch him this year as Hollywood Brown has gone on to the NFL to kind of be the featured guy. And you're seeing him draw that attention while guys like Rambo are getting better looks. Yeah, and our guy, uh, Calcaterra, a tight end. So my round two to seven guy, and I actually, Mello sat down today, and I said, I can't believe you didn't pick this dude. (laughs) He was like, no, I don't like this guy. (laughs) I was like, oh, well, I'm changing my pick then. I'm taking Devin Duvernay, a slot receiver at Texas who's really been asked to play on the outside. This was an area where they thought, hey, they thought Brew McCoy would be the guy. Well, he got homesick. They really thought, okay, Colin Johnson's our number one. He's been hurt 
again, same story, new year with Colin Johnson. So Devin Duvernay has stepped up massively this year. 45 catches, 463 yards, four TDs. The TDs are a little bit low, but I will say that's because Texas runs the ball a ton in the red zone with Sam Ellinger. But Duvernay, no, he's not going to be a number one receiver in the NFL, but I do think that he can be a very good number three Well, I would draft him in the second to third round range, depending what he runs. Now, this is a dude that was running 10 200s in high school. So speed should not be an issue. He's 5'11", 210. So he's kind of got that stocky, almost running back type build. But I think in the right scheme where you are able to get him the ball underneath or give him room to run, I don't think he's a stretch the field kind of guy. We also, Sam Ellinger isn't a great deep ball thrower. So I, I think they're holding each other back a little bit there maybe, but I think Duvernay could be very electric in the current NFL where he's going to get the ball in space. Yeah, and I'm going to say this wearing the Texas logo on my chest here. Uh, I saw LJ Humphrey do the same thing last year, and that's why I have concerns with Devin Duvernay. He's a great athlete, works his ass off in the locker room. He's small, but I do have a lot of concerns there. He's getting the ball a lot on those quick screens, just like we saw with Humphrey last year, who went undrafted. So we, we will see what Devin Duvernay can do. My guy, who's not going to probably not going to be drafted in the first round, is Malik Harrison, the linebacker out of Ohio State. I am not an Ohio State fan. I love every one of their prospects coming out this year. Like even J.K. Dobbins, I'm high on him as well. I really like what they have going on there. He's a big physical linebacker, 6'3", 240, runs well, and I think that he's playing very well this se- this year, his senior year. Uh, he's another guy that maybe we'll see in Mobile. Linebackers, for some reason, uh, you don't get a lot of the linebacker talent there at the Senior Bowl. So hopefully he's a guy that we can take a look at. Uh, I love the way that he gets off of blocks. Uh, I love his veteran leadership with this linebacker group. They've got like four or five guys deep there, and he's the leader. He's starting to be that alpha dog. I like the way he's playing. So I'm going to say rounds two through seven, I really like Malik Harris. Yeah, I'm going on the defensive side of the ball as well outside of round one. For rounds two through seven, I'm going Joe Bocci. I know we've talked about him a lot on this show. I think when you look at Bocci, tackling machine, great instincts, Great leader, plays on a really good defense where that Sparty offense just can't do any favors for them at any times. But when you look at Bocce there, he's the dude in the middle of the field. Now, is he the biggest linebacker in the world? No, but I think he always beats everyone to the spot. So I love what Joe Bocce can do. And I think we've seen a transition over the NFL the last couple of years of linebackers just getting smaller and really relying on you know, quickness, first step, and just understanding. And I think Bocce is that kind of guy in the middle of the defense where a team will see him on film and they'll go, well, he's a tackling machine. He's not the most physically imposing kind of player, but he's someone that we can get in our room. He could be a leader right away, and we could ask him to do a lot of different things on maybe all three downs. And I think that's a kind of player that a team will find a steal maybe on day two of the draft for a guy like Bocce. Yeah, I like Bocce a lot. Just the production is good. I feel like there's a lot of linebackers like that this year where uh, they're just they're productive. They have all the tools, but like like Mello was saying, even we just don't see those guys get blown up throughout the process yeah. unless they're an Isaiah they Simmons don't. type guy. So Evan a lot Weaver, of linebacker and receiver. Another talk. guy just like that. Evan Weaver is so productive. David Woodward, another like they're just a lot of productive linebackers. Right. It's blind review Let's time. Go. We got one right last week. I just want to we congratulate us. We talk about that. We haven't, but we like nailed it last week. That It was pretty amazing. We have the New York Giants visiting the New England Patriots this week. And guys, it was a much better game than I thought. I thought the Patriots were going to absolutely kill the Giants. 
They almost did, but not quite. They were favored by 17 points. The fact that the Patriots come out, win this game by 23 points, looked very good moving the football. The Giants just didn't have anything to stop this crew of running backs. They're running the ball. They're catching the ball. They're blocking well. Great win here for the Patriots. The cool, crisp Foxborough wind blowing for the Patriots as they pick up a win at home. I think the biggest takeaway here is that the Patriots aren't going to trip up. Like We're not going to see a Chiefs-Colts game where even if they're a little bit banged up, it's just not going to matter. Man, I feel bad for Daniel Jones today, and he's going to be in the tub because that best defense in the NFL got him again. The Patriots' streak holds no touchdown passes surrendered this year, and once again, they're allowing seven points a game on the season. We saw it again. They're holding right where they're supposed to be. The Giants got to start thinking about 2020, and they got to start thinking about drafting some wide receivers for Daniel Jones. Yeah, I'm a happy better over here because I put a little money on on this game when I got the opening line at 16 and a half and for the Giants I mean Daniel Jones didn't have anyone obviously no Saquon no Sterling Shepard no Evan Ingram what can you expect against a great defense on the road at New England and just to see them lose by 23 guys we got to start talking about this offensive line I think it had a really good start to the year but now you're seeing some protection issues on the left side for the young quarterback they really need to find a way to get the ball out quicker especially when Ingram and Saquon are back but New England They are just steamrolling right now, and this New England defense looks as good as I can ever remember them being. It's not Tom Brady carrying the team anymore. It's, hey, we can play any style of football because we know our defense is going to shut out the opposition. It is week six. It's time to preview and pick some games. Let's go around the horn. I'm 23 and 12. Mello, 23 and 12. Connor is 16 and 9 because he missed week one. Uh, we've we've fallen into a trap. A lot of us are picking the same games. I'm going to encourage us to shake things up a little bit this week. I say that after we've already picked yeah, the games. Yeah, it doesn't, so look, maybe somebody, doesn't look good. <laughs> maybe someone will just get, get crazy and go off the top here. Game number one is the one we will be at. Number six, Oklahoma. Favored by 10 and a half neutral site game against the Texas Longhorns. The over-under is 75 and a half. I would say crush that over because Texas can't tackle. And I don't think bringing Chris Ash in as a uh, whatever unpaid defensive assistant this week is going to change anything. I will say this. When it comes to the Red River shootout, showdown, excuse me, you have to almost like take everything out off the plate like right like records don't really matter because there's so much emotion and energy surrounding this game texas won last year really within the what a last second field goal so you have to almost overlook what teams have been doing and neither team has really played anyone texas played lsu uh, and lost so even looking at oklahoma it's like it's hard to be that excited about oh you haven't played anyone that said i fully expect oklahoma to beat the ever-loving shit out of my Texas Longhorns. I would take Oklahoma. I would take points. I think they win by more than 10 and a half. Texas's defense is arguably the worst in college football. Whoa. Oklahoma has Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, Rambo, Calcaterra, Trey Sermon. Like They're going to score 56 points, Oklahoma will. Uh, see, I think that this game, I'm going to pick Oklahoma to win, too. I actually think it's going to be close because traditionally it's always it close. has been in, yes. in the last couple of years. Uh, it has been since, I mean, 2013, 2014, 
2012 was the last time that this game really got out of hand. So I do think that Sam Ellinger and this offense can score points on Oklahoma. The bad news for all of us Texas fans, there's no way in hell you're stopping this Oklahoma offense. Like Texas can't do it. I don't know that there are many defenses that can. They just look too good. Jalen Hurts playing this whole season pissed off at Nick Saban is just ruining the Big 12. (laughs) He's going to run right through these guys. It's going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be fun to watch. Even if Texas loses, like I think they will. I I think Texas will keep this game really close for at least the first half, maybe three quarters. Uh, But I'm picking Oklahoma, guys. And I'm picking Oklahoma to maybe even cover that line. I think when you look at it, their offense hasn't even really been human yet. Uh, They don't even look vulnerable to anything. They haven't shown any signs of weakness. And I think something that you have pointed out time and time again with Texas is, can this Texas secondary cover not just C.D. Lamb, Rambo, Calcaterra. Can they cover anyone in this game? Who, right. Like, which guy do you take away from Oklahoma? It doesn't matter because someone else is going to be open. And if no one's open, Jalen Hurts is a good runner with a good offensive line. I, I just think, unfortunately, I hope it's a great game. I just think Texas is a little outmatched on one significant side of the ball. Two things I will say. Kansas did slow down Oklahoma a little bit last week before the second half when Oklahoma really put the foot down on the gas. Got the blueprint out there. Exactly. And and I'll say this. This will be my fourth Red River game that I've been to. Texas has never won a Red River game that I've been at. So I'm a jinx. I apologize. Texas is going to lose. Let's move on. Michigan State at number eight. Wisconsin. Wisconsin favored by ten and a half. The over under a scorching. 40 points. I, I think the Badgers just run all over Michigan State. I know we've talked about Michigan State's defense. You know, oh, Michigan State's defense is like they've got, you know, some talented dudes in there, but they can't really stop anyone. And there's in the no field. way that I, right. There's no way I see them stopping Jonathan Taylor. No way. No one else has. If Jonathan Taylor's healthy, he's going to go off for 200, 225 yards. He's going to score three touchdowns, and that's just how they beat you. Michigan State's offense is just absolutely atrocious. So even if you can start to slow down Taylor, I don't think they can score enough to win this game. See, I think that they can stop Taylor. The bad news for all the Spartan fans is when you stop Jonathan Taylor, he still runs for 120 yards and one touchdown, and that's probably just not going to do it. So I'm going to pick Wisconsin as well, but I'm going to take the under. I think this is a low-scoring game. I think both teams are going to come out, try to control the ball, uh, not get any, not do anything too crazy with it. So I'm going to take the under here. I think it hits under 40, and, and I'm going to take Wisconsin yes. to win. I do think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a good game, but they're going to force Jack Cohn to throw the ball. They are probably sick of watching Jonathan Taylor run all over the Big Ten, so they're going to load the box and say, all right, we are making this quarterback beat us. We might put nine guys in there with two corners <laughs> on the island, <laughs> but we are going to make this quarterback beat us. So I, I expect a slow start here for Jonathan Taylor, but I do think Wisconsin wins. Yeah, this might be a 10-6 to 6 kind of football game where it's just a punt fest, it's a turnover fest, and nobody's moving the ball. Everyone's just trying to win the game of field position. And man, what do we say about college kickers? Uh, they're not you know ones to rely on here, but... When it comes down to it, for me, it's Badgers all the way. All right, here we go. A game of two top 20 teams. Number 10, Penn State, minus three and a half, playing in the pink locker rooms at Iowa. The over-under is 42. I would take the under on this one, and I'm going to surprise everyone. I'm going to take the dogs in this. I like the Hawkeyes to win outright, and it's not a popular pick. Even like I, I, looking at the the picks that you know ESPN and everyone else has made, everyone's on the Nittany Lions basically in this one. 
I believe that Nate Stanley can get it done against this Penn State secondary. I think we also see the run game of Iowa be productive this week. Here's the thing, though. You have to stop K.J. Hamler, and no one's really done that so far this year. So we're going to need to see Sean Clifford contained, but I think Iowa is just so disciplined. It's such a hard place to play, not just because the pink locker rooms. This is a great fan base. It's a night game, so I and it's going to be cold up here. There's like a cold front hitting the Midwest. It's going to be cold. It's probably going to be rainy. I think that favors Iowa when they're at home. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Penn State here. I like this defense, and you watched Iowa play last week. Michigan shut them down. 10-3 to was the score on that one. So I agree with you. I think K.J. Hamler is going to go off because I don't know that Iowa can stop him. I don't know if anybody really can stop him. And I was very hard on Sean Clifford. I was wrong. I'm sorry to Sean Clifford. (laughs) It looks like he can actually play some quarterback. Running back by committee is still going to get it done for Penn State. Micah Parsons in this defense is pretty damn special, though. They're only allowing seven points a game. I know that they've got some cupcakes on that schedule so far, but I like this defense, and I think they can get after Nate Stanley with guys like uh, Gross Matos. He's going to be able to get a good test in against these good tackles. So I'm going to go Penn State. I'm going to go low scoring. I don't think it's going to get out of hand here, but Penn State wins. Yeah, pretty simple equation for me in this one. The Nittany Lions play good defense. Iowa can't really score. So when it comes down to it for me, Penn State wins on the heels of their rushing attack where, once again, I think this could be a 14-10, 14-6 kind of football game. I would definitely steer clear and go on the under of that line of 42, but I think Penn State wins. We got a rivalry game, USC at number nine, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is favored by 11. Your over-under is 57 and a half. I don't know who USC is still, and I, I think I say that every week, but I, I just I don't know who they are, man. They've just been so inconsistent. Last week, they can only score 14 points against Washington. Week before that, they scored 30 against Utah. So I, I truly don't know. This is the most bipolar team in all of college football. They have played well. I mean, they beat Stanford earlier. Again, the Utah win, but after watching Washington just dismantle them, I don't have a lot of faith in USC, and I'm not a Notre Dame guy. And I'll say this, Notre Dame lost to Georgia. They have not played anyone else this year. I think Virginia is, in a normal year, Virginia should not be in the top 25. They beat Bowling Green last week by 52. Congratulations. I I still feel like (laughs) Notre Dame is a little bit overrated. They always are. Right, but I don't think USC is going to be the team to to expose that. So I'm going to pick Notre Dame, but I hate this game. Uh, this game does make me nervous with USC because if this offense is hitting, it's hard to stop. It's just can you get after the quarterback, which I think Notre Dame will do uh, with their good edge rushers. I'm going to take Notre Dame. That point spread makes me nervous, though. I probably wouldn't put anything on it um, at 11. I'll take the over. I think both offenses can score the football, but I'm not going to take the point spread. I think this rivalry game is probably always going to play a little bit closer than you think, even when USC is having, I, I wouldn't say a down year, but they're kind of expecting a coaching change by the end of the year. I think this game stays close, but it is going to be high scoring. Yeah, like Matt kind of said, this USC team is all over the place. It's going to be a chilly, chilly uh, Saturday in South Bend for USC to go to Notre Dame. I just think Notre Dame is going to come out ready to play, and I think they're going to easily handle this USC team. Seeing that USC team against that Washington secondary, they really could not get much going at all throughout the entire game until the end, and I think it's going to be a very, very similar performance against for them against the Irish.
Michael Pittman has to have a game like he had against Utah to win that ball game. Like that's it. And and he needs to step up. I think in general, he's had that one really good game. All right. The game of the week. And this is absolutely the game of the week. Number seven, Florida at number five, LSU. LSU's favored by 13 and a half Ooh, boys with an over under a 55. And listen to this stat from the bear. No, not our producer, whiskey, Dan, the bear at ESPN dating back to 2010. The last 12 ranked teams to pull a home upset, so that's Florida last week beating Auburn, and face another ranked team as an underdog, so that's them this week against LSU. They're 1-11 straight wow. up, 4-8 and eight against the spread. The only team to do it, Ole Miss beat A&M and then upset Alabama in 2014. So basically... Florida's not going to win this ball game. It's almost statistically impossible coming off the week they just had. And I really don't think they can anyway. We talked about Joe Burrow earlier. His just crew of receivers. I think Justin Jefferson goes off this week. And also, I I believe that Grant Delpit, we saw him bounce back last week with a pick. I think he's playing much better uh, as we get closer. Jacob Phillips, at linebacker. I think they can really frustrate Kyle Trask. They can shut down the Florida run game, which is the key for them right now. When they beating Auburn is from that's like from P Ryan. Guys like that being able to control the clock, you know, control the line of scrimmage, keep pressure off the young quarterback. They were able to do that against Auburn. They deserve a lot of credit because Derek Brown is a fucking beast, but. I don't think they could do it against LSU. Uh, here's the problem with this game, Matt. You look at it, and it's a 7-versus-5 matchup, and there's a 13-and-a-half point line. That's because <laughs> nobody goes into Baton Rouge at night and wins. The Gators will be lucky to come out of this game alive. I have seen the fan base there at 2.30. <laughs> yeah. I would be terrified to walk into that stadium at 7 p.m. on a night game. I would be terrified to leave that stadium it's not good news for the Florida fans. I'm sorry. I like your program. I like your team a little bit. I even kind of like Kyle Trask, but Baton Rouge on a Saturday night, no thank you unless you are wearing yellow and purple. And Florida has been proving me wrong since week zero. Uh, let's see. It's nut cutting time over here. This is the, there we go. This is the one. If you're going to really prove me wrong, go to LSU. Uh, fuck the 13 and a half line. Win the damn game. I don't think they will. I don't think it'll be a good game. I think the Tigers are going to absolutely roll in this one. Cutter, how many? Uh, well, you're on gin and tonics now, right? Yeah, 2019 G and T's. We're going to have caught so much Hendrix is going to be flowing through <laughs> Connor's little veins by seven o'clock when this game kicks off. The Instagram live content is going to be amazing. Uh, Maddie, I, host, I am upset that we did this game. Right, Maddie Mills from the back of a golf cart. Uh, I'm a little upset we didn't go to that game instead because I love Baton Rouge. We'll get back there maybe next year. Mello, you got your uh, game of the week, though, buddy. Super underdog locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my own money on, Matt. That's what the people call it. And I'll tell you what, folks, it hit last week, and we didn't talk about it enough when UCF went down to Cincinnati. This week, I'm going back to the well with Syracuse. I really liked this team early on in the season, and somehow they are a three-and-a-half-point dog against North Carolina State. Put your money on this one. I think that Syracuse can get the job done. That defense is too good. They have enough offense to beat North Carolina State. Put your money on them. That's the Locksmith Game of the Week. If you haven't heard, the XFL is coming back, and I'm actually excited because it sounds like it'll be a little bit of like a throwback to that 80s, 90s football that we all miss. Then you get Chris Berman doing the highlights of this thing. So we thought this week, yeah, let's look at the XFL draft pool. Why not? Because there's not that much going on, and I'm excited. I really am to get. I, I was a believer in the AAF until you realized that ownership actually didn't know what they were doing. So now we get the XFL, and 
I don't know if Owner Shapiro is what they're doing, but it's going to be exciting for a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, they at least have some people running this thing. It seems like it's a little bit more credible than what we had with the last one that tried to start up. So I I like the XFL, too. I'm excited for more football. Anytime it's on my screen, I I think it's a good idea. I mean, this is going to be... I actually am excited after seeing the draft pools. Like, they released the first one, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I was like, I think I know like five people on that list. And then they, they, <laughs> right? they release yeah. one every day. So it, it's it's gotten a lot better. Um, I will gladly kick things off here if you guys will. So let me. Take it. Take so it away. we're doing our top five players in the XFL. I almost really did my top five favorite stories. I don't think these will be the five best players in the XFL. But oh, the God first no. <laughs> one, boy, is this one fun. Taku Lee. He is on the Japanese international team, and he is a running back. He has played for the Unicorns at one time. He, I mean, he came over here from Japan. Watch his highlights right now on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. We have a Japanese running back. I am rooting for this guy. I'm excited for this guy. And, I mean, the film is fun. I don't know what it'll look like when he's over here playing in the XFL against some decent football players. But at the end of the day, Taku Lee is somebody that we can all root for as we see more international players, not just in the NFL program, but now clearly in the XFL program. Next, Vinny Papali. Yeah, you recognize that name. You ever see Invincible? There we go. This is the son of Vince Papali. (laughs) Vinny played uh, a lot of special teams and a little bit of receiver at Delaware for a couple of years. Good athlete. Tough guy. He's getting a chance at the XFL. Let's see Invincible 2 a couple of years from now, the XFL version. <laughs> Number three, I actually think this guy is a talented player. Devontae Kincaid, a, a very good player at Grambling, a, a really good player at Grambling, really a good running quarterback. I, I don't know if the NFL just didn't think if he had the arm for the, you know to get a tryout at the NFL level, but I think Kincaid will be one of those fun players in the XFL because of his playmaking ability, and I think a lot of people, especially fans of the Grambling program, are going to be excited to see him play again. <laughs> Number two, this is Matt's favorite player, Trent Richardson. <laughs> Trent Richardson will now be playing in his fourth league, I believe, from NFL, CFL, yeah. AAF, XFL. I mean, we're always going to turn the TV on when Trent Richardson is on, whether he's good or not. Number one, this name blew my mind when I saw it on there. Darren Thomas, the Oregon quarterback, the guy before Marcus Mariota. This story was unbelievable. He was a fun player at Oregon. He left early. The NFL just never worked out. He's 29 years old already. But remember how explosive those Ducks offenses were with Thomas as a runner, as a thrower? I haven't seen this guy in so long, was wondering what happened to him. And and he's been playing in some, it looks like semi-pro kind of leagues. And now we get to see him get his shot in the XFL. So for me, I don't think these guys are the five best talented players in the league, but I think they're all players we can individually root for in some kind of way. Yeah, I actually had to look at like some of your guys. I, I saw Darren Thomas on your list, but I didn't recognize who that actually was. And then Trent Richardson, they somehow slid that name in on me. I, di- I didn't see him get so out I of there. So I did, and here's my thing. It's like, that motherfucker burnt me once. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> like, I'm not putting my name on it twice. We, we should have made you I, do it. I'll, I'll go next here. Number five for me. Roberto Aguayo. I liked him, and I was rooting for the kicker that got drafted so high. He was not that terrible in the NFL. So yes, I mean, he was. He, he 
converted 71% of his field goals, at least. I mean, the Bears have had worse kickers. Uh, So I want to see him get a second chance. I think the NFL is so terrified to put their name on him or or, or give him a chance that I want to see what he can do in the XFL. And I think for a kicker, I mean, if he just comes out and can be consistent, he'll get himself a tryout there. So I am going to go with a kicker. I don't even care. I'm not scared. Next up for me, number four, I'm going to go with quarterback Taylor Cornelius. Out of Oklahoma State, I liked him. He was only a one-year starter, really didn't get a whole lot of time to play, but I like his his potential as a big guy with a big arm. We'll see what he can do. I think before too long, he's probably going to be in some coaching circuits. Uh, next, number three, KD Cannon out of Baylor. Second-round draft pick, super athlete. I think that his speed at the XFL is going to be exciting. I'm not sure how they're doing the coin toss or what they're doing at the 50-yard line for the XFL this go-around, but his speed is going to be valuable on that XFL field, as well as Ryan Broyles. Former receiver from Oklahoma. This guy used to tear it up in the Big 12. And he had his chance in the NFL. I mean, his junior year, he caught 131 passes at Oklahoma. I think he's going to be a very talented receiver that people are going to have a hard time sticking with at the XFL level. And number one for me, Tony Dungy's son. That's a joke if you don't know it. (laughs) Eric Dungy, the Syracuse quarterback that everybody loved last year. We had a lot of people asking about him. Is he a draft prospect? What can he do? Uh, Very athletic. I want to see if his arm has developed, what he's been doing for this last year, but I know that he'll be able to take the ball and run it. The offenses, I don't really know what they'll look like right now. Are they going to be more college with the spread where you're moving your quarterback around, or is it going to be NFL-based where you want that pocket passer or or what we're going to see? But I think that Eric Dungy can perform in this league and will be a valuable player. Tony Dungy's son. When I saw it on your list, I was like, okay, now I get it. Now now I know why he's on there. All right, number five for me, Trey McBride, a player who I actually really liked as a draft prospect coming out uh, in the 2015 draft. The Titans picked him up in the seventh round, but he was a good player at William & Mary, bounced around the NFL for a couple of years, uh, but six foot, 245 pounds. So he, I, I'm anxious to see, is he going to be more of like a flex tight end? Like where where is he going to get used uh, in the in the XFL? Because Excuse me. Six foot, two hundred ten pounds. I'm ex- excited to see where they use him because I, I really did thought that like this dude had some potential. He ran a four three seven back in the day, so I, I like his ability a lot. It, get him in the slot, get him as a return man. So Trey McBride could be one of those big play guys in the XFL that maybe doesn't jump to the league, but can at least shine for this for this level of football. Number four, Connor Cook. So I was never high on Con- as high on Connor Cook as some of my peers, but I did like at least his talent coming out in the 2016 NFL draft. The Raiders drafted him in the fourth round. He got a little bit of a chance to play when Derek Carr got hurt, but it just wasn't meant to be. He bounced around last year. This year, he was actually with the Detroit Lions. The XFL is kind of trying to make him a thing. Like, he is their name that they're Ugh. marketing. So I would, yeah, right? <laughs> I will say this. Connor Cook's family was not great to me in his pre-draft process. So you can bet that I will be following this dude's every (laughs) throw at this level to see how he can do. So this is not a redemption story. I am watching out of it's a revenge story. Petty story. I just want to be right. Exactly. (laughs) That's all this is. Number three, and I will say the rest of mine are guys I actually like. David Cobb, when he was at Minnesota, I really liked him as a running back prospect. He was physical. I really thought that there would be a chance he could carve out a nice little NFL career. It just did not happen. Um 
fifth round draft pick by the Titans. I thought he was that, you know, physical running back who's going to be a great match to, you know, kind of a thunder and lightning system there. It never happened. He's only 26 years old. So there's still a lot of tread left on those tires. I'll be excited to see where he lands. Number two, just to show I'm not a homer, an Oklahoma player, one of my favorite college football players of all time, a fullback, Dimitri Flowers. I truly believe this, that we could see the XFL help be a feeder league in a lot of ways because the NFL, we've already seen guys like Juice in San Francisco. We're starting to see Alec Engel. We're seeing more fullback usage in the NFL. I think Dimitri Flowers just needs a chance to remind people what he was like in college because he's a good receiver out of the backfield. He can run the ball a little bit, and I think he's a very good move blocker. So I'm excited to see Dimitri Flowers. Then my top guy, got to go quarterback, got to go very small school, Joe Callahan who actually looked pretty good in the preseason. So Joe Callahan out of Wesley. Yep, that is in Delaware. I thought he looked good uh, over the last couple preseasons where we got a chance to watch him play. He was with the Packers for a little bit. He was with the Bucks and the Ravens this past uh, offseason. I like Joe Callahan. He's a little dude. He's like 6'1", 200 pounds. He runs around and makes a ton of plays. Uh, I, I think he's a decent quarterback better than Connor Cook let's be honest so I wouldn't be surprised Joe Callahan might be your XFL MVP season one it is draft on draft time I'm ready to crack open some beers so we're gonna go do that as soon as we're done with this Andrew Magnuson who better be in Dallas this weekend or I will revoke his stick to football hall of fame membership I'm not joking in honor of this week's rivalry games what's your favorite moment from the Texas OU rivalry bonus points for discussing favorite moments in other rivalries LSU Florida FSU Clemson Notre Dame USC etc so obviously we sit here as Texas fans you and I Matt so my favorite memory from the Texas OU game was uh, Jamal Charles run the year that they won the national championship the dude just took off you know, it might have not even been that year, but it just took off right up the middle. It really set the game over the top, and Texas ran away with it. It, w- it was not even close. So that's my favorite one, but I know that the Oklahoma fans, like Mason Whitlock, will tell me when Roy Williams <sighs> when jumped over Sims. the line and hit Chris Sims, that was one of the best plays I've ever seen in college football. Yep. It, it happened in this rivalry game. So I, I did love that one, uh, even though I had to watch it from the other point of view. I think for me, like it, Ricky Williams... And it's probably the big one where you like uh, it would have been 97, like for Ricky Williams to just go off against Oklahoma. Um, that's probably was like my introduction to the rivalry in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, the Roy Williams play is the best play in the history of this rivalry. I think uh, last year, watching Ellinger just take over games with his legs last year was one of my favorite moments because it just it felt like Oklahoma could not stop him. On the other side of it, I was in the Cotton Bowl watching Baker Mayfield do the horns down to the Texas student section. Like, I don't really like Oklahoma, obviously, but like to have to win a game and then have the balls to do that. Like, that's one of those. I didn't like it, but I'm never going to forget it moments. So I will say that game has not produced like a lot of iconic moments, though. Not like some of the others have. Yeah, it hasn't been like real close. I know that we talked about it earlier, but it's never like coming down to the last second drive or anything like that. And last year did, but it just felt anticlimactic. For me, and this is something that I tweeted out, I just love all the LSU special teams fakes against Florida. Yeah, There's like 900 of them, and it's just kickers and punters running for huge first downs or touchdowns. And even on the botched one, where they flip it over their head and it bounces and he still picks it up and runs. <laughs> right, right. It's unbelievable how many times 
that can happen to the same team. And it is something yeah. that everyone's – I hope Florida does it to LSU this time around so everybody's like, oh, shit. Like Now we have to go scout their special teams. Yeah, <laughs> Do right. they have a fast punter? Yeah. I think the greatest rivalry play I've ever seen, though, is the Chris Davis 109-yard return in the yes, Iron Bowl. I agree. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a walk-off return. Like, that's it. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I went nuts, and I didn't really have a rooting interest. Did not in care. Who won I could not believe that he kept running the football. I think when you look at the other games like Florida State and Clemson, I don't even know if that's really a rivalry. I think yeah. both teams have been pretty dominant during their time. So it's not like we're seeing the best of Florida State against the best of Clemson. But there was a game, I think it was maybe Jameis's last year there at Florida State, when Clemson was coming off the bus, and they're rocking the bus. It was a night game. I think that's when we saw the switch from, okay, Florida State's running the ACC to now Clemson is. You look at Notre Dame-USC, the The Bush Bush. push. That had to be the best uh, highlight from that game that I can remember. I know that there's probably like some game from the 70s or 80s where people are like, you have to mention that one. Well, I didn't see that one. But I did see Reggie Bush push Matt Leinart into the end zone to keep that season alive. All right, next question. Uh, This is from DGI22. I like this question. Should quarterback Jordan Love enter the transfer portal as a grad transfer after the season and go to a power five school? I think first and foremost, I actually don't know if Jordan Love is on track to graduate. I would assume so as a fourth year junior, but you never know. So I think that's the first thing. I don't want to speculate too far um, since we, we don't know if he will be able if he'll be graduating or not. Now, secondly, no, I think if you are on the radar as a first round quarterback, I, I know a lot of people, um, our good friend Jim Nagy and I have had a lot of conversations about Jordan Love as well, that there's a growing belief in NFL circles that this dude would be a top 15 pick. You don't need to go prove yourself at a power five school because the NFL already yeah, likes find you. you. And there was this talk about Josh Allen at Wyoming too. There's oh, his receivers suck. His O-line sucks. Should he transfer? Nah, because scouts know that he has nothing around him. And I think with Jordan Love, you watch the LSU game, you see moments, then that's what gets people excited. Where it's like, ah, he's overcoming the lack of talent around him with his playmaking ability, with his arm, with his vision, with how he can improvise. You just know that his numbers are not going to be what get him drafted. Yeah, and I think you're right when you say he's already on the radar. It wasn't like uh, Tyree Jackson last year. I think that he could have maybe benefited from going to a different Power 5 school. A lot of people are already watching Jordan Love. They're familiar with what he can do. So I don't know that going and competing against somebody else is going to do it. I mean, we just watched him play LSU. I mean, he's competing against some good schools, even though he is out there playing for Utah State. Yeah, if you're expected to go in the first two to three rounds, they usually are going to go, especially at quarterback where you're going to be given some time to develop or you're going to be given a chance eventually to start. And I think for Love, I'm not there as a believer right now, but I think, and this is something that Matt has preached a lot on the midweek show, is the NFL values his traits right now and if he continues to show off those traits he won't have to go to another school play another year of college football because guess what the traits are already on the film yeah it's it's easy sometimes right like with Jordan Love you know what you're looking for and you're just looking for the the traits it's just like scouting Josh Allen all over again different players not comparing them but all right KG Whittington sounds like a coat 
company or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, he says that I mocked Joe Burrow to go to the Titans. If they go 8-8 eight and eight and end up with a mid-round pick, do you think Burrow will fall that far, or will they have to move up to get him? I think it's too early to say right now where people will go mock drafts. Like We're in the process of ranking people right now, and even that floats and is flexible. So a mock draft right now, it is an exercise mostly in team needs and player value. So I could see Burrow right now being a mid-round one value. But quarterbacks always float. That's yeah, and, just what happens. And if he's quarterback two, there's no way that an 8-8 eight and eight team could pick him up. Right. Uh, if if he is QB2, the Bengals are going to pick him up, or the Dolphins will pick him up. There are a lot of teams that need a quarterback at, that are going to be picking very early in the draft. Yeah, I think it's all over the place right now with Joe Burrow. This has been a astronomical kind of rise right now. I mean, before the year, I feel like we had Joe Burrow in the third to fifth round. And now it seems like every week we're talking about him being in the first round. And this feels like the conversation is moving. Will he be in the top 10? I'm not saying he won't be. I'm just saying it it is definitely a very wait and see approach right now. Um, I just think with the way quarterbacks are reached upon on top of the fact, Justin Herbert has not really done much for anyone this year. Honestly, this is a chance for Burrow to really continue to climb. I mean, right now, the draft is Cincinnati, Washington, Miami, the Jets, Miami. Again. Two quarterbacks. If if Tua goes first, well, I think Burrow goes third or fifth. Like wow. That's just how it goes because the Dolphins have to get it. Well, I mean, unless Josh Rosen, uh, you know, he's got an audition here. We'll see what happens. But it, there's just a lot of what if scenarios right now. Uh, Pon, Punk C. Caliph. I don't know. guys. You had it. Uh, Keep going. Third, third name on there. Why do you think Chuba Hubbard isn't getting more Heisman love or talked about at all as a draft prospect? Let me say, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he is going to talk about as a draft prospect. If you listen to this show three times a week, we love Chuba Hubbard. Go ahead. Sorry. His team has two losses. That's why he's not okay. getting talked about as a Heisman. I, you can't have two losses this early in the season. They're three and two right now and be considered for a Heisman. That's why when we talk about guys that are, we're talking about maybe Jonathan Taylor at running back. He's been going off, and his team is still undefeated. We're talking about Tua. We're talking about Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts. What do all those guys have in common? They haven't lost a game yet. So I think that's why we're talking about these Heisman guys. You look at that first, it's kind of a team award too. You have to be on a very successful team, and you have to put up the numbers. Uh, he's doing it. I mean, even last game, 156 yards, three touchdowns. I love Chuba Hubbard. Another reason why people maybe aren't talking about him that much, he's a redshirt exactly. sophomore. A lot of people yep. probably didn't expect this production out of him, and they probably expected, okay, let's look at this guy next year because he had a great freshman season last year, so he probably just wasn't really on the radar as a draft prospect coming into the season. At least he wasn't for me. He's a guy I thought would go back to school and be a three-year player, but I I think maybe we will have to put him on the board. Like Matt said, we like him. He's definitely talked about here on Stick to Football. He can get it done out of the backfield and running the ball. Very good player. Just probably not going to be a Heisman. I I just think when you come into the season, you have names like DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne. I I mean, this list really goes, like even Keyshawn Vaughn, those were the guys we were talking about all summer. Now Hubbard comes in, lights the world on fire. He's been phenomenal. I think we've been big fans of him as a college football player. But like Melo said, redshirt sophomore, you're like, oh, damn, he is eligible if he wants to leave. And as we often say on this show, if you're a running back and the draft stock is hot and you can get out of town, get out of town. So maybe that decision will come earlier than expected for a guy like Hubbard. No fucking way I would go back to school. Never. Running no back? Way. No way. Not to Stillwater. Nope. Not going to happen. Uh, let's see this name. Gianluca Martini. Ooh. I think you guys are punking me with your names lately. Goodness gracious. 
Who would you rather have for now in the future? Nick and Joey Bosa or JJ and TJ Bosa's? I want to go last. Okay, Connor so said Bosa's. Bosa's. If I'm doing it for right now, I would take the Watts. I think that they're probably both healthy right now, but it's hard to do that in the same week where we saw Nick Bosa almost single-handedly beat the Cleveland Browns. And then Joey Bosa, if he's ever healthy fully, they're going to be very hard to stop. So if you're building a future around him, it's got to be the Bosa's. But I do love TJ Watt. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Dude is constantly just killing the backfield. He's there. He's yeah. getting fumbles. Pressures on the quarterback, a little bit of sacks, too. I, I mean, you can't go wrong, but the Boses are probably the easy answer. Yeah, I, I really like both. I, I mean, or all four, excuse me, both both sets of brothers. I would take the Boses as well. Nick Bosa, you could make an argument, is the best pass rusher in the NFL so far this season. It, definitely on, on numbers, on pressures, on impact snaps. He actually is the best. Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the best. He had seven pressures against the Steelers. He owned the Cleveland Browns on, on Monday night. That's not just me being a homer, uh, but Bosa has been, I mean, he's been absolutely unstoppable. Now we'll see if that can keep up. Last question from our guy, the Dildozer, who hung out with us in Wisconsin. Yeah, I... A name like that is just set up for me to mess up. I love it. That's Basically. a real name. Like, that's where it's going. Yep. All right. With the college season coming to the halfway point, who are some prospects who've made huge jumps up your big boards, as well as some guys who've taken big falls like down that. your rankings? I mentioned earlier, like I'm in the process. Uh, Mello and I were talking about it before the show today of ranking. I have about almost 200 players ranked. So I, I think some the biggest jump for me. If you guys know someone off the top of your head, go for it. Because I got a little burrow. I have somebody that has fallen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I'll stay with LSU. I'm not pleased with what I've seen so far out of Grant Duffin. I really thought that he was going to have a big year, uh, bigger than what he has so far. And it is Thursday, so maybe come Saturday against Florida, that could really change. But so far, I have moved him down my board. Um, the coverage skills, I know he had an interception, but it's still, it doesn't look like he's that elite level center fielder, do it all safety that we kind of thought he was. Looks like he might be more of like that strong safety type guy. So we'll see what he can do um, Saturday against Florida. But for right now, I have dropped him down my board. Hey, we were really nice to LSU during the pay segment. I guess it's time to be a little mean here. I'm going to go right back to that <laughs> Tigers. Well, I haven't seen anything out of Kayla Von Chase on this year. I, no, I, would, no, I wouldn't know he's playing football. And I know a lot of people, including us on potential, we didn't write it in pen. We were like, you know, Chase will be back this year. Maybe he could be a top 15 pick because he's a pass rusher yep. with high end traits. I just I haven't seen anything to get me excited right now. I, I think another one. And I don't think it's his fault, but I think I was expecting maybe too much is LaVisca Chenault. I just don't think he's in the right opportunity to be a C.D. Lamb, a Jerry Judy, a T. Higgins. He's not getting those kind of opportunities right now at Colorado where the manufactured touches look phenomenal. But at the end of the day, I, I think I was hoping he was a top 15 player, and I'd be really surprised if he's drafted as one. I mean, the biggest jump for me is Jalen Hurts, and there's no question about it, because I, I thought day three, when we last saw him at Alabama, all my scouting <laughs> yeah. friends were saying running back, that they really thought he would move to running back. Nick Saban even thought that. So, yes, I should have known. You're right. But that is the biggest jump for me. Uh, I think the biggest fall, I was going to say Caleb on chase on. He's really been disappointing this year. Um Goodness gracious. J.K. Dobbins is a huge jump for me as well. I'm down on the the Vandy guys. I really thought that we would see better play from Vaughn, from Pinckney, uh, and from the well, the receiver name just escaped me. Starts with an L. 
I know this is great podcasting. Lipscomb, yep. yes. So I've just really not liked what I've seen from that Vandy trio. And I know the quarterback play has not been good, but I, I expected them to overcome it a little bit. So, but I, I would say Dobbins is Dobbins and Hurts are my two biggest risers by I don't, far. And I don't have really anybody that's jumped up the board for me. I am. I've been very impressed with Tua this year, uh, and I had a lot of questions about him coming into it. So having him play the way that he has, but I feel like I've talked about that enough already. Other than that, I mean, my top five guys right now, I have Chase Young, Jerry Judy, Tua, uh, Jeff Okuda. I've come around on him, but I was never low on him. I always knew that he was going to be great. I mean, I saw this guy play as a freshman, and I was like, that's the best corner on Ohio State. So always been high on him isaiah simmons and then i have number six aj epinesa so i've our been high on uh, top sixes are identical that's twinsies right um here's another player i absolutely love and again my my big board is is being updated currently i absolutely love Derek brown at auburn like Derek brown is number 10 for me right now so my top five i've chase young jerry judy tua Akuda, Simmons, Epinesa, just like Melo. I still have T. Higgins at seven, uh, Grant Delpit at eight, Andrew Thomas at nine, Derek Brown at ten. I mean, I think so, Brown, I Brown I is like, Vikings, and I even saw, uh, it's funny, before we did the show, I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet about it, and I agree. Brown's an easy eval. It's just how much, you, when you're an interior defensive lineman, like, I guess you can't even say because Quinton Williams just went three. I don't think Derek Brown's going in the top five. But I think he's no. easily no, I don't think a, so an yeah. easy eval as a top 15 kind of player. He reminds me of Jonathan Allen. Uh, yeah, but similar. Like a healthy Jonathan Allen, right? So it's like Jonathan Allen went, I believe, 15, yeah. but he was hurt. So it's like, I mean, he should go 10, 12. Top 10, top 15, I would say. It yeah. depends on need a little bit. I, I will say, if there's two guys in my top 10 I'm worried about, it's Higgins and Delpit. And I, I, I think Higgins... I don't know what the hell all is going on with that passing offense, but he's just not looked the same this year. Also, I get like a Josh Doxson feel from him sometimes where he's so good at the jump ball, but then you forget that he maybe doesn't do anything else. So right. I will Mike say, Williams. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, but I think Mike was a better route runner. So I'm a little worried about that. And then with Delpit, it's like, oh, are we getting sucked in by character again? Um, and I think one thing that's going to be on us to find out is, is he holding back because he knows he's going to the NFL? We've seen I actually before. felt like Derwin James did that. I, I really thought Derwin did that. Like I remember watching them against Louisville, and it was like, "What are you doing? Like, why aren't you tackling?" And it was so frustrating. Uh, I just think he was holding back to stay healthy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that one. But there are, I mean, a lot more games to be played. So this board is gonna shake up. Don't freak out because me and Matt have the same. Top the one six. player I'm looking at, and I'm like, God, I gotta move him up. Henry Ruggs. I have him at fourteen. I have. Him, I love Henry Ruggs. I got him at twelve. I mean, it's just hard to watch him play. And and the speed is great, but, I mean, he's a complete receiver, too. And he's not as small as I thought he was either. Six foot, 190. I I have him as my number two receiver right now. He's like a healthy Will Fuller to me. I think people forget almost sometimes how good Will Fuller is. It's just he... Adoree Jackson has it. Oh, God. (laughs) Speaking of moments. (laughs) My goodness. Uh. I mean, what else can you really say? I think that's a good time to end the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to go pop some tops. Hopefully we see you Saturday morning in Dallas, Texas again, 9 o'clock off the cuff. Then we will be back Monday morning, our show uh, live from off the cuff. And then the regular schedule, Wednesday, Connor, I'll be back for Mellow and Connor. We'll talk to you all real soon. 